This is the Saxo Market Call. Daily insights on what is moving the financial markets. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It's Wednesday, 30th of November, 2022. Critical day for markets uh, and the markets seem to be feeling it a bit as we do have Fed Chair Powell. Coming up today, after a long run of easing of financial conditions, as we've talked about, a significant repricing of the Fed to be in strong easing mode at some point in uh, very late 2023 and into 2024. So the market recognizing that and, and pricing it a bit. So where will Powell deliver relative to what has unfolded and relative to this local adjustment in um, in respect of his upcoming appearance and the assumption he's going to prove hawkish? I think that's a, a very good assumption. The question is how we can... Uh, how we can turn the tables on the markets here if he really wants to. And, and we'll go through that a bit in today's podcast. But uh, a fairly ugly session yesterday, Peter, uh, I think a bit more so in some of the high profile bubble names really than the broader averages and, and a high profile mega cap name Apple. And we'll get to that a bit later as well. But uh, otherwise, not a, a very remarkable session yesterday. No, it was not. I mean, you had the uh, we we talked about it the really positive response in commodities uh, due to uh, the developments in China. So the Chinese uh, our China consumer technology basket and the commodities com- uh, combined with the overall emerging markets did well in the uh, in the low end, as you indicated. You know, next gen medicines, which is biotechnology stocks, uh, bubble stocks, uh, everything related to the green transformation and cybersecurity. Uh, those baskets were weak. So, um, so that was that was sort of the uh, uh, lay of the land. And and if we look at the S and P five hundred, um, we really boxed into I think a t- very tight trading uh, trading range. Um, we just I think we're struggling to find what sort of what is the narrative here for the end of the year that can carry us uh, through to that to that new year. And um, and I think maybe tonight with the FMC decision that will be the clue. But before we talk about that, we need to also sometimes talk about uh, fun and games. And uh, we have a World Cup going on still. And we're getting to the uh, to the uh, to the last bit of the uh, the group stage before we head into the knockout phase. And uh, Denmark is uh, will play today against Australia. Hooray! We've played uh, miserably. Um, we need a win, and we also need the France uh, B team to uh, to at least make a draw against Tunisia or, or even better uh, win at least for for the, for the sake of Denmark if they need to progress. But we updated our model. Uh, and that's more important, uh, which is this Monte Carlo simulation on the ELO ratings, which is sort of a, a measurement of a, a national team skills. And then we adjust for different factors. And we have adjusted only one of the factors, which is the, the squad dynamics. We were have been very hard, uh, harsh, I should say, against Belgium and France. We have removed that uh, negative adjustment to France because they've played so well. We've done other adjustments. And you can now see the updated probabilities. The model still has the Netherlands as the uh, as the favorite, but the Portugal and Spain have really gained there. And especially Portugal have become quite a quite a favorite based on their results and also uh, you know just their their path through the tournament tree. So um, and we have decided when the group stage is done, we'll do a more comprehensive update on on uh, on the entire model and also the ELO ratings, etc. And then we'll we'll make splash announcements of our predictions for every round during the knockout phase until we get to the final. So yeah, stay tuned. I, I just need you to explain one thing to me, Peter, and that's how uh, now that the United States uh, uh, did win yesterday and is through to the next <laughs> round, how its uh, odds of winning the entire tournament have dropped uh, from the, <laughs> uh, from the initial assessment. Oh, no, your, your, your initial assessment was, uh, the same 0.1 percent i'm not sure i appreciate that uh, uh, yeah but uh, <laughs> I, I should say uh, that's a very astute observation john uh, i should say that the uh, the u.s played against iran 
uh, last night. So that was uh, after the the model update. I'm I'm pretty sure that the uh, the US probability has improved quite dramatically uh, over the night. Yeah. <laughs> okay, no worries. Uh, I I don't have hopes of the win. I do have hopes that they'll do quite well in 26. It's a pretty fun team to watch. All right, on to uh, market things. Let's have a look at. Uh, where the market is ahead of uh, Powell's speech today, just to get a sense of what he's pushing back against. And uh, if you go to slide four, I just put up the September uh, projections from the FOMC, the dot plot projections of where the Fed saw its forecast going and, and put the, you know, the median, you can see where it is. And you can see that the market approximately matches where the Fed is uh, for both the end of this year and uh, the end of next year. Although uh, there is a peak that's a little bit higher than, than where the Fed was projecting uh, so that in 2023 that the market is saying is, is beginning a little bit to see uh, the odds of rate cuts coming in already by very late next year. And then you see the significant drop off in 2024 uh, relative to what the Fed was projecting. So obviously we're awaiting those December projections, but uh, that's the shape of what the market sees coming. And, and really, to be fair to the market, I mean, the Fed itself has been saying, look, we, we anticipate there'll be some kind of softening, at least in inflation, if not the economy itself, risk of recession, et cetera. Um, they've even projected a higher unemployment uh, and and uh, out into next year, et cetera. So we're just doing what you thought you also think is going to happen. So it's interesting to see how Powell will push back against that. And, uh, you know, one one way you could do that is to say, look, we're not so sure about our, our inflation forecast. There could be a dispersion there. Uh, if we do get what the Fed is expecting from the September in terms of the PCE core, then we will have these positive real rates already by, already by the end of 2023. I mean, they're expecting uh, that PCE core, uh, which in September was at 5.14% to drop all the way to 4.5% um, by the end of this year. That's a bit of a bit of an ask, I would say. Uh, and then to all the way to 3.1% next year. And that would, of course, if that comes into being, that puts the entire U.S. yield curve, and assuming there's not a collapse at the long end, into positive real rates territory, which is what they say they want anyway. So it's it's interesting to see where he pushes or pulls on the market expectations to indicate uh, that he's hawkish. Is it going to be via, via a higher anticipated peak rate in 23 or to push back against that 2024 projection? I don't know, but that's the lay of the land. The question is, where will we get, uh, where will the market, how will the market react to what he actually delivers? Uh, we see the dollar a little bit firmer, as you can see on slide five with the FX uh, overview there. Um, but, uh, still has a lot of work to do. Eurodoll would have to cut down through the 102.25 area, even through 101, really to signal a major reversal. Dalian has even more work cut out for it. Uh, and I showed a Kiwi dollar here, which uh, has, uh, which shows we're still near the top of the range, not far from that 200-day moving average. Some uh, bid into Aussie and Kiwi, especially lately, on hopes for reopening in China. I think China, not only was it the news about... Um, China sort of indicating this this progress towards more easing, but uh, I, I imagine an, an official brushback against the market with a very solid uh, uh, Renminbi rally uh, yesterday that uh, you can see the momentum reading, the two-day change there is a tremendous uh, upward impulse for the Renminbi. So I think it's very interesting where we are market-wise for this dollar versus these uh, China reopening hope trades as we head into this Powell speech tonight. Um not so much a big deal in your area, uh, Ula, I don't imagine. Of course, it's more about what is this forward state of demand and what OPEC uh, is going to deliver now that it's, uh, pricing has gotten uncomfortable uncomfortable for them heading into this next meeting. Indeed. Um, well, power could have potentially have an impact on the metals, but we'll talk about that in a little while. But uh, let's stick with oil prices for now because uh, 
Uh, it's been a it's been a volatile week. Uh, after the, the the dump on Monday, we we recover strongly in, in anticipation of potential uh, speculation that OPEC Plus could cut uh, production when they meet on Sunday. On top of the cuts they already made for November, uh, the news that the meeting is going to be held online instead of instead of in Vienna um, created some some uh, bit of a, a excitement or, or, or dampened uh, in the market the pr- prospect for a cut. But I think they. They will, they will. They can cut whether they are online or whether they meet in person. So uh, I think it's all related to where, where the price is. I just put in on slide six here the Brent crude chart, as per as per usual, and just the dotted line is where we started the year. And uh, clearly, OPEC, I would say, is not satisfied with oil prices near eighty dollars when we've had a year where demand has risen, where producers have struggled to increase production, where demand growth in general has been rising, and that uh, uh, they feel. They probably feel justified by to to maintain or to defend a, a price. I would say in, in that uh, low eighty eighty area. So uh, let's see where where prices uh, head to ahead of the weekend, uh, and uh, that could uh, basically set the tone for next week. Also today, just to keep an eye on the inventory report later today from the EIA, we uh, the API last night uh, said that uh, they saw a near eight million barrel drop in stocks last week. Uh, against that, we saw they also see uh, stocks rise in both gasoline and diesel. So uh, let's see if that creates some 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 uh, some volatility. But uh, Powell is on tap, as mentioned, and uh, that could potentially be uh, in- interesting for I would say at least uh, the precious metal space, given its link to the dollar and to yields. But overall, it's been a strong month for industrial and precious metals, as you can see on slide seven. We the the Bloomberg Commodity Index. Uh, such is uh, is is up by more than more, more than four percent, but we got strong gains uh, strong gains basically in in, in uh, as you can see industrial and precious metals. The <clears throat> the tightness in the market has eased somewhat. That can be seen through the implied roll yield. That's basically the spread between the first and the twelfth month contract, um, and we've seen that come down uh, quite a bit down towards zero, and and that's primarily due to the weakness we're seeing in the oil markets right now. That the oil market or the energy market has been carrying this. This very steep backwardation that we've had in the, in the commodity space as a whole. So the market is, is softening somewhat, but still overall in a in a backwardation, which basically highlights the market is still not looking for any any uh, recession to really uh, send send prices and and demand sharply lower. All right, let's get back to that um, Apple story we alluded to. I think there was an interesting uh, day for Apple shares. Certainly yesterday it was a little bit of a, a session that was on the defensive, but Apple shares uh, seeing quite a tumble. And I think uh, one of those uh, one of the reasons behind that is uh, there's been some political criticism around their treatment of the Twitter app threatening to take it off their app store with uh, Elon Musk's uh, the CEO of Twitter now uh, and being against them. And then some of the politicians uh, and weighing in against Apple on this front, especially, of course, on the GOP side of things. Uh, But there is a bigger antitrust effort going on here. And there's also specific uh, criticism of Apple from uh, Florida governor, among others, uh, Ron DeSantis, potential 2024 uh, GOP presidential nominee hopeful, saying that uh, they were are, are accusing Apple of taking off access or taking away access to Chinese uh, iPhone users to this airdrop app that can be used uh, in connection with uh, organizing protests. So uh, the idea being suppression of uh, Chinese or, or being a friend to the CCP in China and being against free speech in the USA. Regardless, we're seeing a material impact on Apple shares, as you show here, Peter, on uh, slide eight. And there's potentially a bit more energy behind some of those antitrust bills. There's one that's stuck in Congress, but there could be an effort to get this pushed through uh, because there is some bipartisan support for it uh, before uh, the end of this lame duck session into uh, the new 
Congress uh, set for January. So it's something certainly worth watching and and Apple shares looking a bit on the defensive there. Uh, I don't know if you want to add anything to that story. Uh, I basically did your work for you a, a little bit, covering a bit too much of that, uh, Peter, but you've also got some other uh, key uh, uh, shares uh, or, or companies in your spotlight here. Yes, exactly. And thank you very much for that, John. Uh, you should join my equity team. It could be fun. We could cover so much more. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, we also had the the earnings release from CrowdStrike, as we talked about yesterday on the podcast. And they they did deliver much better than expected figures in, on, in, in, in the third quarter that ended in October, both on the top line and especially on the bottom line. Um, but it was the Q4 guidance, especially on revenue, it I mean, it was on the midpoint, it was $10 million less. So instead of 635, it was 10 million less. And that was enough to take the shares down by 19% and extend the trading. And that was despite that the profitability, the adjusted earnings uh, outlook for the current quarter win, which will end in, in January, but much better. I think the market is getting this a little bit wrong. I mean, because it's the, the, the structural outlook for cybersecurity is still very strong. Yes, there are short-term macro headwinds that are building. That's not something new. It's it's hitting all industries, um, but a nineteen percent change on a small miss on on revenue. I think uh, it tells a story about the sensitivity still in in some of these very high growth, very high priced uh, names. So, um, but I I think it seems like a, a little bit of an exaggeration here by investors. And then in Europe, we have H and M that has been have have had really some troubled years it has actually been ongoing for now eight nine years it was you know first the story was that h&m was too slow to do the online they were under threat from Salando, which was gaining a, a lot of market share they had too many stores the store network was too densely uh, densely connected around big cities uh, on and on and on um, h&m were really beginning to underperform its peers around 2015-16 and that went all the way into the pandemic where they were on the back foot. And then during the pandemic, because they were not as strong and online, they, on a relative basis, were not as competitive. So they lost even more. And now that we have come out, they haven't still, they haven't recouped their full uh, revenue that they had before the pandemic. And uh, they have also had these uh, standoffs with the Chinese government over remarks about, you know, uh, the you know the labor camps that the China is is running in the um, in the in the um, the western part of the country that have also excluded H and M to some extent from the Chinese market. That has also then the revenue. And now this morning they are in, announcing this eight. 100 million uh, restructuring cost program charge for for Q4 and they are about to lay off 1500 employees um so i haven't checked actually how the market has reacted to that but uh, that's a story at least that will uh, that will carry through in europe and then finally on slide 9 so we were on slide 8 just before in today's slide deck which you can always access access by clicking on that little link we have to it in the um, in the podcast text and on slide 9 uh, earnings for today Salesforce and Snowflake, uh, two pretty big companies. Salesforce, of course, being the biggest one. It's, uh, it's I think, the sixth largest on market value in the technology sector. It's sort of, uh, it's playing uh, playing ca- catch up. And then as we're in the battle, I think, with, with Microsoft to, you know, who, who should own the enterprise space in terms of applications. And I think Salesforce is trying to to really fight fight here with Microsoft. But they, they you know, Salesforce is also show, is seeing this structural slowdown in technology spending and um, uh, revenue growth expected to go down to 17% year and year still healthy 
but significantly down from uh, from from a year ago. And um, what what I wanted to say as well with this uh, little insert I have is that Salesforce is now back to share prices they had around late 2018, early 2019. And back then, revenue was less than half of what it is today. And uh, the operating profit was also, you know, I think 40% of the current levels. It's just, I think it's a very, very clear example of the, what impact low interest rates have had on uh, business valuations. Yeah, and then we have all those Canadian banks uh, reporting over the next couple of days. Uh, we saw Scotiabank yesterday, but um, I'm interested in how uh, the Canadian housing market begins to weigh on their prospects as we get all these mortgage resets uh, going forward. Uh, interesting one uh, there. Let's go to the macro calendar. Uh, we have Fed Chair Powell speaking. That will be the key event risk today. But a, co- a couple of the bits and pieces, the November ADP private uh, payrolls employment changes up later today. Uh, we also get the Eurozone flash CPI. We've seen a couple of softer uh, CPI prints in Europe, but we're still at such alarmingly high levels. We really need to give this some time to see how this settles in the coming quarter uh, plus. <clears throat> also, the October JOLTS job opening survey. That's always an interesting data point, if a somewhat delayed one. And this is really ahead of the main events, uh, which are tomorrow's uh, PC inflation data point uh, out of the U.S., uh, expected to fall down to 5%, uh, still would have to fall quite a bit more at the core. That is the core number expected, by the way, uh, by the end of December to get to that September FOMC projection. And uh, we'll be waiting to see how they update their December projections, uh, especially for next year, I would say. And uh, in the FOMC meeting on December 14th. And then the, the Friday, of course, jobs and earnings reports. Uh, out uh, you know, from the U.S. with that earnings in focus. Once again, it's been dropping back recently, last few months. So you're on a downward trajectory, but still at very high levels. And there are alternative indicators suggesting we're at still pretty high wage growth, 6% plus, 6.5% even on the uh, Atlanta Fed's median wages. So interesting data points ahead. But uh, again, it's really going to be about whether Powell can uh, steal back the, the initiative from this market that is just sort of put out a pretty bold a statement on where it thinks inflation in the economy and rates are going uh, from here. Can the Fed do anything to push back against that? That'll be the key question today. We'll see uh, how Powell succeeds or not t- uh, tomorrow with the next Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com.